Would you please stand as we read God's word today? Um, We're going to be reading out of Psalm 13, and that can be found on your sermon guide, and there's also a Bible underneath of your seat. So David says, O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying, we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall, but I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. You may be seated. Thank you, Amber. We are doing something these next four weeks very intentional. I want you to know that, that we are headed into the holiday season, uh, very aware. But this year, just as your pastor, um, just really felt like we need to do something a little bit differently. And uh, we're going to take the next four weeks to talk about the topic of, of grief. Uh, we're actually talking about the topic of lament. We'll get into that in just a second. But the topic of of grief, And I want to tell you a little bit about why, kind of my heart about why we're doing this. Um, because I think that as Christians, um, we're not really good at it. <laughs> because, um, because we have accidentally or unintentionally adopted this kind of like terrible, overly Christian positivity that feels like, um, you know, Everything happens for a reason. God's got it. Don't worry about it. Put your head down, muscle through, get over it. Everything's going to be okay, which is terrible advice. And, uh, and so as Christians, I don't feel like we do great at it. And, I, and the reason this is important is because I don't think that we realize as a society, as a culture, as a church family, how much we have lost over the last 20 months. Um, I think the reason that the world we're living in right now is so angry is because we're afraid to be sad. And fear usually is easier than, than sadness. And, and so wanted to take some time as a church heading into the holidays and the end of a year, because I know the holidays are festive and celebratory and all those things, but it's also the time of year when um, you're most reminded of your losses. You're most re- reminded of family conflict and uh, the pains of, of your life. And so you've got that, you've got the holidays, you've got the end of the year, which doesn't necessarily symbolize the end of anything we're going through as a, as a culture or society or a world, but there hopefully is some closure by the end of the year. And then you've got COVID, quarantine, politics, riots, everything going on. And we've just lost a lot. We've lost a lot. Even if you don't feel like you have, you have. Even if you don't, wouldn't know how to describe it, you, you have. I, I just started making a list of my own life and the lives and the stories of the people that I know that I've talked to of things that we've lost over the last 20 months. It's not just losing someone you love to death. There's all kinds of things that we lose. For example, over the last 20 months, so many of us, we've lost our routine. And at first it was kind of cool, you know, and then it's not cool anymore and it's awful. And, uh, but we, we lost our routine, which sounds like not a big deal until you lose it, right? Uh, we've lost time. We've lost time. Uh, certain things that 
you know, are important in life time periods. Maybe you have a student who was finishing a grade or uh, had a senior prom or a sports season or uh, maybe you had an anniversary or a, a, something that you could, couldn't celebrate and you lost that period of time. Or We've lost security and certainty, which is, is a big deal for sure. Uh, we crave it as human beings. It's one of our deepest desires is certainty and security. We've lost people we love. Even this week, I got a, or yesterday, excuse me, yesterday I got a text from somebody about a friend that, that I lost to COVID. Um, we've lost dreams, things that were headed in a certain direction positively crashed and burned. Um, some of us have lost faith and authority. Some of us have lost businesses, uh, ways of life. These are all very substantial losses. Psychology would tell you that six months after you deal with these, you know, uh, moving where you live or losing someone you love or divorce or changing jobs or psychology would tell you six months, if you haven't dealt with those, they begin to flare up in your life in significant ways. And most of the time, we're not sure why we feel the way we feel or we're doing the things that we're doing. And we don't realize that it's, it's because we have not dealt with the things that are happening inside of us. And it's not just individually. I mean, as a church, we've lost uh, over these last 20 months. We've, we've closed our Shepherdsville campus that we had. Some of, some of you are part of that. We closed the coffee shop that we had in Shepherdsville, Shiloh's. We closed that. We've lost church members, good and bad, positively and negatively. We've, we've lost people who are part of our church family. And that's significant. And I'm not... I'm not saying that like no one else is talking about it. I get nervous when preachers are preaching something that no one else is preaching. That's very nerve wracking. But I can say from my church experience and my, like, I can't really remember many times when we would get up as a church or the pastor would get up or as a family, we'd get together and we'd talk about what we've lost without kind of like adding on this positivity of what's coming and it's going to be better and it's even better and it's a season, it's revival, it's breakthrough, it's the next level. You know, I grew up in those kind of churches and instead of just saying, you know what, there's got to be a time to mourn. There's got to be a time to grieve. There's got to be a time to, to lament. And that's what we want to do. We're calling this Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. We stole the title from a book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Um, this book started floating around our staff uh, earlier this year and uh, we like to pass around books, and this one kept making the cut. And, um, and so I would highly encourage you to read this book. We're going to talk the next four weeks about some things in this book, but we're not going to get to all of it. And we actually ordered 20 books. Joe just told me we've got about 12 or 13 left out there. For 15 bucks, we're just recouping the cost. We ordered them off Amazon. If you want to order it off Amazon, you can do that. But they're out at the, at the Connection Center. You can grab those. The team out there would love to help you with that, Okay. Now, I want to also admit here towards the beginning that this is a personal series for me as well, um, because I would, I would have to admit to you that for the first 37 years of my life, I feel like I probably would have been the least qualified person in the world to preach on this. Now, I could have preached on it, and I'd have given you, you know, three, three tips and tricks to grieve better, you know, um, but I would have missed the point. And... Over the last year, personally, the things that I've gone through have answered prayers for me, prayers that I wish I would have never prayed. You ever had that happen? I have journals on bookshelves in my room by my rocking chair uh, for the last seven or eight years. And if you flip through the pages of those prayer journals, you would find over and over and over again that I begged God 
to soften my heart and to help me to be able to cry. Because for 19 years, I, never, I didn't cry. I cried at my rehearsal dinner, not because I was getting married. That's not why I was crying. It wasn't a negative thing. Um, but I cried at my rehearsal dinner and then I didn't cry again until earlier this year. My mom had cancer and died, didn't cry. Babies being born, didn't cry. Uh, pain, you know, pastoring people, joy, positively, negatively, didn't cry. And it wasn't because I didn't want to. I just didn't have this, um, this emotional capacity. I don't know. I mean, I could give you lots of explanations, but I, I just, I didn't. And I would beg God, like, God, soften my heart. Not only as just a human being do I feel like that would probably be a nice thing to have, but as a pastor and, like, I, I think, God, I, I don't want to be so hard-hearted. I don't want to be so robotic. I don't want to be incapable of understanding these types of things. And boy, did he answer that prayer this year. Now I'm crying at insurance commercials. I don't... <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just a sobbing mess uh, about, about so much stuff. But I think what happened to me, and maybe you can relate to this, is I, I convinced myself that I was not a very emotional person, that I described emotion or I kind of assumed that emotion was demonstrative only and that there were really emotional people. And then there were people who were not very emotional. And I was in the category of people who were not emotional. Maybe you think you're in that category too. You're wrong, but you think you're in that category and I get it. And my catalog of vocabulary for emotions was, was really two words. I was either fine or I was frustrated. Really three words, funny, three Fs. Like if something awesome happened, like that's kind of funny. That was it. I was either fine, frustrated, or that was kind of funny. And I incorrectly assumed that what I had was emotional stability. But that's not emotional stability. That's emotional ineptitude. Stability is actually having lots of emotions and being able to somewhat, uh, you know, have a stability in all those emotions. Not feeling emotions or being able to explain what you're feeling is not emotional stability. But I prided myself on my emotional stability. But God has a way of bringing enough pain into your life to teach you and to shape you and to form you into the person that he wants you to be. The blessing of pain, the awful, awful blessing of pain. And for me over these last 20 months, but especially this year, this has been the hardest year of my life. Not even close, not even close. Um, Some of the lowest lows I've ever experienced in my life, the biggest fears I've ever experienced in my life. Uh, there, there was one Sunday, probably the lowest Sunday for me, where I was driving to church and uh, just sobbing in my car. And I was on a FaceTime with a few friends of mine who were pastors, and they were praying for me to help me get through the day. And I remember I came into church, and the band was practicing, and I went to the office, and I just sat there, and I cried, and I cried, and I cried, and I cried, convinced that I would not be able to step up here and be able to preach that Sunday. The leaders, elders came and they prayed for me and I did. I walked up here and I had a big smile on my face and I was like, I'm so glad you guys are here. I'm so excited to be here. Open your Bibles. And I preached and uh, nobody really knew because I learned at a really early age in church how to do that, how to do that. 
that you're doing really good. And I think even for me, just as your pastor, I I think there have been ways that I have been unable to pastor you over the last 13 years because of not knowing a vocabulary or having a grasp about what is happening. And my challenge this year for me personally has been the realization that, you know, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus. As a Christian, we want to be more like Jesus. And Jesus is God as a human, which means if I want to be more like Jesus, I have to become more human, not less. And I think sometimes we kind of define spiritual maturity and spiritual depth as being less human. But becoming like Jesus means being more in touch with our humanity. It means the good and the bad of understanding our flaws and our weaknesses and feeling the things that, that we feel. And so those have been some of my personal experiences. Our staff and our elders have stories that are their stories to tell that I will not tell you their stories, but we're all looking around at each other going, God, what are you doing? Why are you breaking us the way that you are? And what is it that you're trying to teach us? And we feel like we're learning some of that. But my hope and my desire would be that as a church, as we have matured and continue to mature as a church, that this would be a place where we would feel comfortable and safe talking about what we feel and how we feel it and not feeling this rush to resolve it or not feeling like we have to get over it or not putting some kind of hyper-positive spirituality spin on what it is that we're going through. But that we would be able to just, let's don't be Job's friends, you know, that we would be able to just sit and walk with people as we are going through what we're going through. And so what we're gonna try to do the next four weeks is try to explain some of that and, and give permission and a vocabulary to feel that. That's what we're going for. That's our goal is to create a place at Hope City Church where we can give you permission and the vocabulary to try to articulate what it is that you are experiencing and feeling. And so today to get us started, I wanna just answer two questions. That's what we're doing today. We're answering two questions. The first question that we're gonna answer is how do you feel? Which is an annoying question, is it not? There are a few people, I guess, who like to get asked that question, but I wanna just crawl under a table or punch somebody when I get asked that question. How do you feel? We're gonna answer that. And then the second question we're gonna answer is what do we do about it? How do you feel and what do you do about it? So let's look at the first question. How do you feel? What would you say if I asked you that question? How do you feel? Actually, a better question to ask is what do you feel? Because how do you feel is like, fine. What do you feel requires a word? It requires a vocabulary. But how would you, how would you answer that if I were to ask you today? How do you feel? Maybe like a lot of you, you would answer like me. Fine, frustrated, or funny, you know? How do you feel? As a human being, you experience seven primary emotions every day of your life, whether you know you're experiencing them or not. I want to show you this. This is something I've been learning. Uh, So I'll just teach you what I've been learning today. But you experience seven primary emotions. They're going to throw this slide up for you. And of those seven emotions, there are four that are negative. There are two that are positive and there's one that's neutral which is probably why it's easier to be in a bad mood than a good mood. 
right? You got twice as many negative emotions happening, but you got four, po- four negative, two positive, and one neutral. Your negative emotions that you experience, every human being in the room over a 24-hour period, some more than others, your negative emotions that you experience are fear, anger, sadness, and disgust. If you've ever seen the movie Inside Out, that is brilliant. It's brilliant. Um, fear, anger, sadness, and disgust. Your positive emotions are joy and excitement. And then your neutral emotion is surprise because you could be surprised positively or negatively. Your spouse says, I'm pregnant. <laughs> and you're either positively surprised or negatively surprised, right? And um, you could get fired from your job and that could make you positively surprised or negatively surprised or, you know, whatever it is. So that, that one could be neutral. That could go either way. And the reason I'm showing this is I want you to begin to put together a vocabulary. And it's not that you've never heard these words before, but if I were to say to you, are you afraid? He was like, well, I'm not, no, no, I'm not afraid. You know, I'm, I'm a little anxious, you know, or, but I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm afraid. Or if I say, are you angry? You say, well, I'm not, I'm not angry. I mean, I'm a little upset, but I'm not angry. If I was to say, are you sad? You would say, no, I mean, I'm not sad. Like, don't get carried away. I mean, I'm not sad. I'm not helpless here. I'm not sad. I'm just, you know, I'm just a little emotional about it. But really, you are sad. You are afraid and you are angry. This is what it's called. But you have to give yourself permission to call it that. And you have to be in a place where you don't feel silly or foolish for actually being able to say those things. I'm afraid, I'm sad, I'm, I'm, I'm angry, or I'm disgusted. And so beside those words, I've given you some other words because I think sometimes if you didn't grow up in a very emotional environment, you know, you don't want to own those things because it makes you feel out of control or whatever it is. And so I've put some other words beside it that describe what you're feeling when you are feeling fear. When you're feeling fear, what you're feeling is uncertainty. Fear is uncertainty. And so if there's anything in your life that feels uncertain, you are feeling fear. Uh, or anger is anything in your life that feels not fair. It feels unfair. So if you're experiencing anything in your life, I don't care how silly it sounds to anybody else. If you feel like it's unfair, then you are experiencing anger. Now you may not be acting out or being demonstrative about that anger or rage, but you are angry. If there is something in your life that feels like loss, if you've lost something, you are experiencing sadness. Maybe that makes you feel too weak or too vulnerable to say you're experiencing sadness, but if you've lost it, then, and, you, and you are recognizing that you've lost it, you're experiencing sadness, and then disgust is just immediate dislike. That you, you wouldn't say I'm disgusted. I mean, I don't prefer it, but I'm not disgusted, but there's this immediate dislike. And so these words really begin to help you to own what it is that you're feeling, even though you would not want to use the primary emotional words. But you would say all the time, there are things in my life that make me feel uncertain. It could be as simple as thinking I'm going to run out of gas before I get to my next place. Or it could be as heavy as I'm going to die before the end of this time period because I have cancer. You, you could feel angry about your kid not getting enough playing time. Or you could feel angry about racism and slavery. You could feel sad about the loss of someone that you love who died, and you could feel sad about the loss of, you know, uh, I was going to say your keys, but that would probably be more anger. Uh, but you could feel loss about, you know, sadness about uh, losing an activity or, or losing an opportunity. 
It doesn't matter the scale or if anybody else thinks that it's not valid. If you feel uncertain or loss or uh, injustice in your life, you are experiencing these primary emotions of, of anger, sadness, and fear. And so I'd like for us to just take a moment to do a little exercise. If you have a pen or a piece of paper, maybe you want to get the notes app out on your phone. I would love for you to participate in this, but I'm going to ask you a question and I'm going to want you to give an answer to yourself. Not to me, don't say it out loud, but I want you to give an answer, okay? I'll give you a second to get that. Okay, I'm gonna ask you three questions just to give yourself some room wherever you're doing this, okay? First question is this. Right now, in this moment, without overthinking and just instinctually responding, right now, what are you angry about? What are you angry about? What feels unfair in your life right now? There's no wrong answer. Don't overthink it. What is a wrong that needs to be righted? What is not fair in your life? What are you angry about? You can have more than one answer. Okay, you ready? I'm gonna ask you one more question about this. What is one more thing that you're angry about? What's one more thing? Not the thing you put down or the things you put down, but just what's one more thing that you feel like, you know, it's not fair. Okay, second question. What are you sad about? Don't think, don't overthink it just instinctually. What in your life do you feel like you've lost? What have you lost? What are you sad about? All right, let me ask you this. What's one more thing you're sad about? Not what you just said, which is fine, but what's one more thing that you're sad about? What's one more thing you feel like you've lost? Third question, what are you anxious about? What in your life feels uncertain? Don't overthink it, just react. What in your life right now feels uncertain and you're just not sure? What are you anxious about? Fearful. All right, what's one more thing you're anxious about? Makes you, that feels uncertain in your life. Okay, got it? Let me tell you what you just did. You just told yourself the truth. Those things have been inside of you for however long they've been inside of you. You may be, you may be angry about the fact that your dad didn't buy you a bike 40 years ago. But if that's what came to mind when I said, what are you angry about? It's in there. It's in there. And whatever you just wrote down or whatever you just typed in your phone, all you did was be honest with yourself about what you're feeling. God already knew you were feeling it and you were already feeling it, whether you knew you were feeling it or not. You just got a vocabulary and permission to be honest with yourself. Alex McLaren said, a thought, be it good or bad, can be dealt with when it is made articulate. A thought, good or bad, can be dealt with when it is made articulate. But you cannot do anything about, about emotions and feelings and thoughts that you have that you don't know you have or that you won't admit that you have. 
And so as you look at your list and the things that you wrote down, if you would say, well, I feel stupid for that. Well, that's just shame. That's a secondary emotion. We'll talk about that later. But that is now something that you're owning and saying and admitting. And you can deal with it now because now you've said it. Now it's out there. But until you admit that these are things that you're experiencing and you're feeling, you can't really do anything about it. Jesus, our model, our example, experienced all kinds of emotions. That's what makes him our savior worth following is that he was sinless, but he was not robotic. He wasn't emotionless. And so the more we become like Jesus, the more we become in touch with how we're feeling and, and, and what we're thinking. I would encourage you to begin to do this activity as often as you can, maybe not every day, but I would encourage you to begin to do this activity often. What am I angry about? What feels unfair? I actually don't even ask myself anger anymore. I just say, what feels unfair? What feels like a loss? What feels uncertain? Because this allows me to, to really be honest about what I'm feeling without some of those big words that feel a little bit too big or, or make me ashamed for feeling the way that I feel. Now, the reason that we took all of that time to do that on this first week is because from this point moving forward, the rest of this message and the three weeks to come, we are gonna talk about what to do with those feelings. But it won't do you any good unless you begin to cultivate a recognition, an awareness and a vocabulary for what it is that you are feeling. And so I felt it necessary to take that time to answer that question, how are you feeling, and show you just a small little exercise that you, that you can do. But the, but the next question is, what do we do about it? Thank you, Jason, for bringing up memories of my childhood that make me mad. Um, but what do I do about it? You just open the closet door. Thank you for that. What do I do about it? Well, that's what we're going to finish talking about today and get into over the next um, few weeks. But I would say, to answer that question, I would say we do two things. Number one, we feel it. What do we do with what we feel? We feel it. And then secondly, what do we do? We talk to God about it. We talk to God about it. This is where lament comes in. Lament, the word lament, L-A-M-E-N-T, the word lament is the way that people of faith grieve. Now, grief is not synonymous with Christianity. You don't have to be a Christian to grieve. Anybody could and should grieve. Grief is just experiencing deep sorrow. But lament is, is specific to people of faith because lament is grief with faith. Wow. Grief with faith. Grief, anybody can grieve. Only people of faith, only Christians, only believers can lament because lament is deep sorrow and deep faith in God. That, that, that God is good and life is hard. That as Christians, we are certain of the future, that Christ will return and, and there'll be no more tears and we'll be with Jesus and the kingdom of God will be established and all wrongs will be made right. We believe that while at the same time, knowing that the, the, the present is hurting Life is painful, God is faithful. Both things are true at the same time. And I know we live in a world now that makes it feel like you can't have two opposing thoughts in your head. But life is painful and God is faithful. Both 
things are true. And so for people of faith, lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. A prayer in pain that leads to trust. And again, I'm not describing some kind of denial or ultra positive silver lining or trying to find the bright side. I'm talking about real honest struggle. And the Bible gives us permission to wrestle with our negative emotions without having to rush to resolve them. Even if other people haven't made you feel that way, hear me, the Bible gives you permission to wrestle with your negative emotions without having to rush to resolve them. There's a book in the Bible called Lament, or Lamentations. I don't know if you know that or not. Lamentations, it's, it's about lament. Two-thirds of the psalm, over 60 psalms, are about lament. They, they are lament psalms, angry, sad, confused about the troubles or the pain of life. If you, if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, if you are following Jesus, you have more than grief. You have grief and faith. Grief and faith. And, and that is lament. Now, lament is not something that is subjective. It's very objective. There is a specific way that you lament. The Bible teaches us that. We actually read it in Psalm 13 today, and I'll show you that again. But the Bible gives a very specific definition and model for what lament is. Lament is not uh, airing out your grievances online. It's not talking to your high school best friend. It's not journaling. I mean, it could be journaling, I guess, but it's not just, it's not just getting out whatever it is that you're feeling. That, that lament is a very specific thing that the Bible teaches us how to do, which by the way, heads up, four weeks or at the end of this series, we're actually going to write a lament. I'm gonna encourage you and help you, give you the tools to write your own lament. I think it's gonna be incredibly powerful that we'll do that together. But a lament has a very specific structure. And I want to give that structure to you. And we see it in Psalm 13. Part one of a lament is an address to God, talking to God. Part two of a lament is a complaint. We're going to talk about that next week. How do you complain to God? Did you know you could complain to God? You can. Part three of lament is making a request to God. And then part four is an expression of trust and praise. We could say it like this. Lament is... Turn to God, complain to God, ask God, trust God. Turn to God, complain to God, ask God, trust God. This is lament. And we see this in Psalm 13. We read it just a second ago, but look at how it starts. Part one, the first two words of Psalm 13. Oh, Becky. No, that's not what it says. I don't know why I picked Becky. It sounds like somebody you'd vent to. You know what I mean? Oh, Lord, oh Lord, he is directing everything he's about to say to God, to God. Because this is what we do as people of faith. We feel deeply, but we talk to God about it. And so he says, oh Lord, part one. Now he moves to part two. How long will you forget me forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I sit and struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? He is just complaining to God. Now, is it true that his enemy has the upper hand? Is it true that God has forgotten him? No, it's probably not. Well, God hasn't forgotten him. I I doubt his enemy has the upper hand. 
Other parts in the psalm, David will say, everyone is against me. Is that true? No. But does it feel true? Absolutely. We're talking about what we feel. And so he turns to the Lord, oh Lord, and then he complains to God. How long, God? How much longer, God? What are you doing, God? This is ridiculous, God. Like, complaining. Part three, verse three. Now he's going to ask. Turn and answer me, O Lord, my God. Restore the sparkle to my eye or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. He's asking God for something very specific based on what he's feeling. And then part four, he trusts, verse five, but I've complained, I've asked, but I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. These six verses give us the structure, the roadmap for how to lament. And this is what we're gonna do together. I'm gonna encourage you to do by the end of this series together is to sit down with a pen and a piece of paper and to turn to God, complain to God, ask God and trust God the same way that we see in Psalm 13. And so part one of this process It's turning to God. Now, I am not saying that you have to feel close to God. If what you have experienced in your life is causing you to feel a million miles from God, this is a season of your life where you are very much like Jesus because Jesus on the cross said to God, God, oh God, talking to God, why have you forsaken me? And so if you are in a season of your life where you feel as if you are a million miles from God, that's okay. Jesus felt that way too. The question is, what direction are you facing? You can be a million miles away, but are you facing the direction that you walk away? Are you facing the direction towards God that pulls you in? So I'm not saying that you have to feel close to God. I am asking you, what direction are you facing? I love the way Tim Keller says it. Tim Keller says, imagine your soul as a boat on a pond. And he says, like, how would you describe your spiritual situation? Is there wind in your sails? Are you flying and gliding because the spirit of God, the presence of God is the wind in your sails and everything's going great? Fantastic. Is there no wind in your sails and you feel stagnant? You feel stuck. You're just sitting still, not going anywhere. That's okay too. Are you sinking? Are you taking on water? That's okay too. The question is, are you rowing? And when wind is blowing in your sails, you don't really feel like you have to row. But when you feel stuck or you feel like you're sinking or whatever it is, are you rowing? The rowing that he's describing there is this effort in us to turn towards God. I don't have answers, mostly questions and a lot of feelings. But I'm not giving up and I'm not turning away. I'm turning towards God. And so how do we talk to God when we don't know what to say? I'm gonna give you two ways and then we're gonna pray together as we start this journey. How do we talk to God as we're trying to process all of this? First, we talk to God honestly. Secondly, we talk to God humbly. First, we talk to God honestly. God can handle anything you need to say, however you need to say it, with whatever vocabulary you need to use. He already knows that you feel it. He already knows that you think it. And if there has been this idea in your mind that God can't handle it, 
that's not, it's not God. That's not God. And so we just, we just want to be honest about how we feel. I've, I've said this story before, but several years ago, a family in our church called me and said, hey, we need you to go to the hospital with us. We have to tell this extended family member, an el- a more elderly lady who has been in the hospital for almost two months, and she's probably going to die. We have to tell her that last night her son died in a motorcycle accident, and we would like for you to go with us. So I said, okay. And we went to the hospital, and we walked into the room, and I'm standing in the corner, you know, like, well, I don't even, you know, I'm here because you asked me to be here, but my goodness, what a, what a moment. So they, the doctor's in there and they're ready to sedate her and have to like strap her down and she loses it. They tell her like last night your son died in a motorcycle accident and she begins, she becomes enraged and they have to, they have to tie her down and she's screaming and kicking and yelling and cursing at God. And, I hate you, God. I, how could this? And, and the guy said, our pastor's here. He wants to encourage you. And they just kind of split. And I'm standing there. <laughs> I didn't know what to say, you know. And, and she said, I don't want to talk to you. I don't, wanna, I, don't, I, I don't care what you have to say. I hate God that God would do this. All I really knew to say in that moment, I just said to her, I said, that's okay. Just tell him. Just tell him that. It doesn't matter what you say, just talk to him. Don't stop talking to him. And tonight when everybody leaves and you're in here by yourself and you are so angry at God, just tell him. Whatever you want to say, just don't stop talking to him. It's the same thing I would tell you. Whatever it is that you're feeling, whatever it is that you have inside of you that you would really love to say to God, you just didn't think you were allowed to, I'm letting you know you you can. He's waiting for, to hear it from you. So we just want to be honest. But then the second thing is we want to be humble. We pray humbly. And this is a little more challenging maybe than the honest part because the humble part comes into play that we are coming to God hurt and, and, and beaten and confused, but we are not coming to God angry or entitled because our trust is in God. So we're not coming to God and say, God, I know better. We're not coming to God and saying, God, that, that you did me wrong because we're, we're not God. Our trust is still in God. We may be squeezing onto it tightly because we're afraid of losing it, but our trust is in God. And so we don't come to God angry or entitled because there's nothing you can do with that. There's no end at the end of anger and entitlement, but bitterness and lack of faith. You, you, anger and entitlement will never lead you to faith. It will only lead you to bitterness. And so the humble part is not taking away from the honesty. Maybe the honest prayer is, God, I don't want to be angry with you. God, help me to not feel like you owe me, right? But this is not anger entitlement. This is humility that says, I don't understand why. I don't know what you're doing. I am hurting. I feel far from you. but I trust that you know better than I know. And so I've just got, I'm gonna ride it out, trusting you. This is the difference between grief and lament. Grief says, there's no end to this. Lament says, I know the end to this. And it is good. And you are faithful. 
and I'm going to wait it out. I'm going to wait it out. And so um, that's it for today. There's no real bow to tie on that um, and no real steps. I am going to give you one challenge. But I just want you to know that as we start this series, like the starting point is just talk to God. Talk to God, turn to God, and just be honest with him. In your car, in your room, you know, at your desk, I don't know, out in the woods, when you're fishing, whatever it is. Just be honest with God. And if you don't know how to do that, which is, I will admit to you, is a very hard thing to do if you've never done that. It feels impermissible. It feels wrong. Here's the challenge that I have for you this week. I'm going to try to give you some different challenges as we move through this. But the challenge that I have for you this week is I want you to look to the Psalms and help you find language that best describes how you feel. Because so often we don't really know how to describe. We don't have a vocabulary for it. But the Psalms do. They have a language. They have a vocabulary. And so one of the best ways you can begin this journey of being honest with God is to find places in the Bible where people were honest with God and and read it and say, that's what I feel like. I don't know that I would have said it that way, but now that I read it that way, that's how I would say it. This is... This is how I would say it. One of my struggles is I'm so analytical that I struggle with kind of the romantic poet, poetic thing. And so I need someone to help me kind of get into that emotional language. And so just as an example to tell you this, not in any way to lift me up, but just to give you an example of this, because I feel like I'm about six months ahead of you on this journey. And so I'm just gonna try to kind of guide you. You know, I've got the machete going through the jungle. So we're just kind of getting there. But the, um, for me, almost every morning, I read Psalm 16, Psalm 25, and Psalm 51. And the reason I read those Psalms is because the author of those did a better job than I could do describing how I feel. And I don't have time to read it all, of, uh, read it all to you, but Psalm 16 is actually kind of positive, which it's okay to be positive too, by the way. But... He just starts off in Psalm 16. David says, keep me safe, O God. Because for me over this last year, there has been so much in my life that feels uncertain. I've been so afraid of so many things. And so when when I read that, keep me safe, O God, I come to you for refuge. I probably would never use the word refuge because that's not normally in my vocabulary. But man, when I read that and I thought about a refuge, there was something in my soul that resonated with that. And I was like, I'm taking that. That's mine. I'm claiming that one. I said to the Lord, you're my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. That's one of my favorites because I'm just thinking about my, I don't want my heroes to be a different definition of success. I want my heroes to be the godly, but I would, I would never say that. Like I didn't have the vocabulary, but man, I've owned that. That's mine now. I claim that God, the godly people in the land are my heroes. What a beautiful way to say it. You could keep reading through Psalm 16, Psalm 25 has resonated with me so deeply. Oh Lord, I give my life to you. I trust in you. Do not let me be disgraced. I would have never used the word disgrace, but I'm beginning to figure out through this journey, I'm terrified of being disgraced. Yeah. My respect is so important to me. I don't want to be disgraced. 
But I never would, I wouldn't have known how to say to God, God, I'm afraid of being disgraced. But man, when I read it in Psalm 25, I was like, yes, that's it right there. Man, thank you, David, for articulating that because I, I didn't know what to say. But then when I read, I trust in you, my God, do not let me be disgraced. There was something in my soul that said, that's what I mean, God. I put my trust in you. Don't let me be disgraced. Don't let my enemies rejoice in my defeat. Now, I don't have real enemies, but he's writing poetry here. I don't got people who are trying to kill me. I got people who don't like me, but I don't have enemies. You don't either, really. And, and, and so, yeah, I, I don't, I, like, God, I'm praying about my enemies here, but really, I'm just saying I feel like people are against me, you know? And so, God, I'm bringing that to you. Psalm 51, verse eight, has been... If I had tattoos, I would have one of this one. But Psalm 58, David says, Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. Man, that's mine. I'm claiming that one. Because I would have never known, I would have never known to say to God, God, I feel broken and I want to rejoice. But can I be honest with you? I feel broken. And man, I want to rejoice again. And I don't know about you, but I've, I would be willing to bet that there are a lot of people in this room that you struggle to think about the last time you truly rejoiced. It's been a really long time. Life has sucked. And it has been such a long time where you can remember the last time you didn't feel broken and the last time you felt like you genuinely rejoiced. And so I don't know that I would have ever known how to say that to God, but I read it. And when I read it, something in my soul said that right there. So I have begun to just recite that over and over again throughout my day and in my morning. Oh God, give me my joy again. You've broken me, now let me rejoice. Oh God, give me my joy again. You've broken me, now let me rejoice. You've broken me, now let me rejoice. God, I wanna rejoice again. And this is a language that the Christians have been using for thousands of years. And I didn't know that language, but I know it now. And I'm learning this language, like learning a second language. I'm learning the language of my ancestors for thousands of years who have been telling God the truth about how they feel and asking him to step into the situation and continuing to trust him through the darkest moments of their life. And so that's my challenge to you. Just talk to God. Be honest with God. And if you don't know what to say, open the scriptures, open the Psalms, and just read until you find the words that feel like what you would say if you would have thought of it first. We're gonna pray a congregational prayer together and then the team's gonna come and sing a bunch of songs that I asked them to sing. Just about trusting in God and being faithful. And I got Andrea out of retirement to sing for us. She's like the Rolling Stones. Like every couple years, there's another tour. That's all right, we'll take it. That's the only way you're like the Rolling Stones. Um, So I wanna pray a congregational prayer together. I told you, I don't know how long we'd do this after James, but I felt like this would be a a good series to continue because maybe this prayer helps you have a vocabulary. Maybe this prayer helps you to kind of have some words that you could add to your, you know, toolbox of talking honestly to God. So I'm gonna pray this and you can join me at the end where it's in bold. Oh God, I bring to you now the broken pieces of my expectation, the patches of hopes worn thin, 
the shards of some shattered image of life as I once thought it would be. So much lost in this world, so much that aches and groans and shivers for redemption, so much that seems desecrated and unhinged. We grieve what we cannot heal, O Lord, having made uneasy peace with our pain just to keep our disappointment half confined. How long until these hurts are healed and these griefs are gone? But Lord, you wept. You wept at Lazarus' tomb. You grieved for Jerusalem and felt deep anguish in the garden. If you felt the grief of living in this broken world, God, how can we not grieve too? We weep, O Lord, for the things we've lost, and yet there is somewhere in our tears a hope still kept. We feel it in this darkness like a tiny flame. You are sovereign even over my sorrow, and you are the king of my collapse. Will you join me? Help me now to rest on your strong shoulder. I long for answers, but I will settle for the peace of your presence. Amen.